Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. If you could choose any city to live in in the world, where would it be? Anybody have a choice? Long <laughs> I'm sure. That, what an appeal. That's good. Which? Who? Hawaii. London? Cool. Anybody else? Crete. Is that officially a city? Or is that... Sorry, Nick. I'm just joking. Of course it is. Um, I, I, there's so many cities I would love. I would love to live in Boston. I think it'd be fun. New York. Um, Thai, uh, Bangkok. Wow, what a crazy... That would be crazy. But I visited a city. Who knows where this is? Seattle, man, what a beautiful city. I mean, it's, a, it's surrounded by water. I heard that every, one in every five people have a boat, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, to walk around there, to run. I mean, jogging, I don't mean just running after things, but, um, you know, the, the market, a whole bunch of stuff. It's such, such a beautiful uh, city. But of course, of course, this is, this is the best city in the world, right? Montreal is the best city in the world. Um, so I love cities. I love living in cities. I love uh, exploring cities. I love praying for cities, uh, praying for our city. I love eating in the city, meeting up in the city. Cities have developed all over the world every moment in history. You can even in the Bible, in early pages in the Bible, we see cities starting to develop because life and activity and economy and creativity happen in cities unlike other places. There's an ethos and an ecosystem of a city that can nurture culture and the arts and innovation and industry and all these things. And cities exist because it's a natural result of people coming together. And even as we walk through the seven cities in Revelation, there were all these significant cities in the Roman Empire that people flowed in and out of and economies were growing in and out of. And that's just kind of the natural flow. Well, we're in a series on Re- in Revelation. We've been in, this, in Revelation this last year, and we're in the final couple of chapters. And Revelation ends with, you guessed it, what? No, yeah, amen. That's the final word. But, but it, <laughs> good one. But it, end, it ends with a city. Revelation ends with a vision of a city. You, yes. So you ready to read it? Let's read it together. Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. So it's a little bit of a longer read, but I want us to get the whole picture of this amazing city that the scriptures end with. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, this is John writing, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And in the spirit, he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It is the glory of God and a radiance like a very rare jewel, like jasper, crystal, as clear as crystal. It has a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates are inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of the Israelites. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city has 12 foundations, and on them are the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city lies four square. It's like a cube. It's length, the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod 1,500 miles. 
Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 140 cubits, 44 cubits, by human measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was built of jasper, while the city is pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city are adorned with every jewel. First there was jasper, then sapphire, then emerald, a gate, onyx, carnelian, crystallite, beryl, topaz, crystal phrase, wow, these words, eh? Uh, Jacinth and amethyst, amethyst. I have no idea what that crystal is, but it sounds really cool. And the 12 gates, did I say that wrong? How is it? Amethyst, there you see, okay. It's purple, somebody knows. And the 12 gates are 12 pearls, each of the gates is a single pearl, and the street of the city is pure gold, transparent as glass. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruits producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and its servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Wow, what a city. Pretty wild, eh? The Bible starts in a garden, but ends in a city. If you read Hebrews chapter 11 to 13 uh, in the New Testament, the writer already anticipates this coming. Here is a couple of lines from Hebrew, those couple of chapters. Here we do not have an enduring, an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. We're looking forward to the city whose architect and builder is God. God has prepared a city for them, and you have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. I mean, the scriptures point to what we're reading in Revelation and points to this new future city that that God is leading us towards. Now, if you're honest, right, what are some of the images you have normally had about heaven? When you think about heaven, what what, what images are kind of like common? What? Peaceful, crystals everywhere, there was a famous um, toilet paper commercial, and, uh, and this, like, yeah, yeah, I, interesting. But we were in a cohort this last year, uh, the following Jesus cohort, and someone in the cohort often talked about how, you know, man, we have, why do we have these images of floating on clouds while we're in heaven? And it was from this and other stuff like this. We often have images of harps and clouds and robes, and maybe commercials like this make us think of that. And, and yet, what? Golf, golf course. Golf, of course, yeah, Mara wants a golf course in heaven. 
So, but maybe, maybe, listen, I mean, like, look, look what we're reading in, in chapter 21. So here's the thing. While these are all these images, the descent of the new Jerusalem is the centerpiece of John's vision of new creation. A city is the centerpiece of the vision of the future new creation. And if there's anything that we understand from this, it's a strong indication of what the new creation will look like. When I say new creation, I'm interchanging it with the word we usually use, which is heaven. But when we say heaven, we think somewhere far away. We think somewhere at another place. We think something that looks very different than it looks like for us. But last week, we realized that, that the future new creation is heaven marrying earth. And three times we read about this new Jerusalem in Revelation, first in chapter 3, but then over here, that the new Jerusalem is coming down. That's a really important phrase. We often envision that we in, in eternity are going up. And I get it. We, we don't have time today to get into that one verse that talks about being caught up in the air. Maybe down the road. But this vision talks about New Jerusalem coming down. The goal of preparing heaven is an earthly future. Now, a transformed earth, like we talked about last week, a transformed earth that none of us can make happen, only God can. And there's many biblical scholars and teachers who would, who would attest to this, and I'll share one that's more popular that many people have read before. Tim Keller says this, the Bible teaches that the future is not a material paradise, but a new heaven and earth. In Revelation 21, we do not see humans being taken out of this world into heaven, but rather heaven coming down and cleansing and renewing and perfecting this material world. So we're, don't be confused. The future is not man-made. We don't create the future. We don't create this heaven and earth, this new heaven and earth or this new Jerusalem. Only God can and only God will. But the language we read about in the Bible is a redeemed, restored, transformed heaven and earth. And the new Jerusalem, the city that we're talking about, is the key to this future. And so we ask, like, well, what is this? What's it about? And it's three things. It's a people, it's a place, and it's about presence. And first thing to understand is that the new Jerusalem reflects a people, God's people, right? Back in the early, early part of chapter 21, we read this last week, God's dwelling place is among mortals. God will dwell among his people, verse 3. Verse 9, though, did you hear when John is, is told about this new Jerusalem? So, so you know, the first few verses in, verse, in chapter 21 is like this big kind of like 30,000-foot view. But then it comes down to this short, small, microscopic view of the new Jerusalem. And what is John told? He says, come. The angel tells him, come. I will show you what? The bride, the wife of the Lamb. I thought you are talking about a city. But... The angel says, come, I'm going to show you the bride. I'm going to show you the wife of the lamb. And everything we know about the bride and the lamb is that it's God's church, God's people, the body of Christ. Even when we look at the structure of the new Jerusalem, remember, not everything is literal that we read in, you, in Revelation, but it does tell us the, the deep truth in here. The structure of the new Jerusalem reflects God's people throughout history. There's 12 gates, with, inscribed with the 12 tribes of Israel. There's 12 foundations inscribed with the 12 names of the apostles. That's significant. Back in, earlier in Revelation, the 144,000, 12 times 12, the tribes of Israel times the tri 
times the apostles, 12 times 12, 144. The measurements of this city are 1,500 miles long, but in a more ancient time, they would call it 12,000 stadia. Again, that, that number 12 comes in. And each side of this cube, as it's envisioned, is 12,000 stadia. And how many sides on a cube for you math people? How many sides in a cube? There's 12. There's, if you count all the lines in a cube, there's 12. 12,000 times 12 is 144,000. Have we heard this before? John heard 144,000, but then he turned and saw this multitude earlier in Revelation. God, this is God's people in eternity. So it's, it's, the New Jerusalem is more about the identity of God's people than about an architectural design. In verse 3, it's, it's God coming down to dwell among his peoples. It's plural. Because the trajectory of God's story is the salvation of the nations. Not just one person, not just one nation, but the nations. When God first revealed himself to Abraham, he said, I will make you a great nation. But then he said, I will make you a blessing to the families of the earth. Israel's whole purpose, as we read later in Isaiah, was to be a light to not just themselves, but to the nations around them. And then as Jesus comes and those beyond the Jews come into God's light through the seed of Abraham, through Jesus, the nations start getting blessed and start entering in to what it means to be part of God's family. And we read in the New Testament that God desires the world to be saved. So a garden to a city makes sense because a garden is like a few of us in a garden or maybe a few families in a garden or maybe a few hundred people in a garden, but a city is multitudes of people. Cities are places where a variety of people come to live and to make life and to build community. And New Jerusalem is the ultimate community of God's people reflecting God's kingdom. The ultimate community of people reflecting God's kingdom. The New Jerusalem is a people. But we also get the sense that it's a place. And, and it's hard to really imagine all of God's people inside what's measured here. That's why we have to be cautious about saying this is literal. Because 1,500 miles squared is like half of the, is it like the eastern U.S.? I mean, if just kind of like without even thinking or talking theologically, if the majority of, of, of those who follow Christ in the world, they could not fit inside the eastern part of the U.S. So is it, we have to decide, is it literally only that size? Or is it all the earth? Does it reflect all the earth? Or does it reflect maybe the center of what God is doing in the new heaven and new earth? Is it the heartbeat? Is it the center? Is it the core? Is it the pulse? Is, that, is it the headquarters of heaven and earth? Think about Rome and the empire. John, the people he's writing to, like they knew the Roman empire was vast, but they knew that Rome was the headquarters of the empire. They knew that the values of the empire, whether it was Ephesus or Philadelphia or Smyrna or far off, the values of the empire came from the city of Rome. Rome was the pulsating values of the empire. As Rome went, so the empire went. And so as New Jerusalem goes, so does God's new creation, heaven and earth go. It's the place where God's will is established and then sent out. And we get a glimpse of that when we hear the nations are coming in and out. The kings of the earth are coming in and out. So it's like new creation life pulsates from the new Jerusalem. But there's something so beautiful about this place 
that many of us call it paradise. Sharon, you said it's peaceful, right? So notice some things. One, the shape of it's a cube. And the cube is a very common shape in the Old Testament. The inner sanctuary of the temple was constructed like a cube. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 6, the, this shape of a cube was something that reflected, oh, this is where God, the inner sanctuary is, where God dwells. It was the place where God was present with Israel. So the shape of the New Jerusalem is less about a quantity, like how big it is, and it's more about quality. So the size is important. The splendor is amazing. Stones and jewels, and even the ones I messed up in how to say, precious metals, gates, pearls, glass. The splendor of this city is amazing, and it gives us a sense of paradise. The symbols in it are, are, are so encouraging. The river of the water of life. The river of the water of life. The tree of life on either side of this river. It's this reworking of all these images throughout Scripture that describes the heartbeat of God for life and flourishing and healing. And so we get this sense that the city, the new city, the future city, is a fulfillment of the Garden of Eden. What God started in the Garden of Eden is being fulfilled in the future city. And there's, I gotta just put another S word in here. There's style in the New Jerusalem. The kings of the earth bring their glory. Now that's not the same as God's glory. Their glory is what they've created, what they bring to the table, how, you know, their skills and their gifts. The kings of the earth bring their glory. The glory and honor of the nations are brought in. So gifts and workmanship and innovation and fruit. And I know sometimes we can't imagine this. Sometimes we think eternity is all about just kind of like worshiping with like a song. Now, I'm pretty certain worship is part of the new creation when you read Revelation. But when you read a chapter like chapter 21 that gives us a glimpse of what, what life will be like, we see that the way God's wired you and designed us and created us with gifts and abilities are still things that God, will, that, that, that God values, that we will bring to the Lord in the future. I think about that one line. I think it's, um, it's verse 21. Yeah, the street of the city is pure gold, transparent as glass. And we wonder, like, how's that even possible? There's an artist in New York. His name is Makoto Fujimura. So he has Japanese um, history. And out of the Japanese tradition, he learned how to, how to beat out of a gold leaf they call it this practice, and, they, and you beat out the gold so much, so much, so much, so much that it becomes so thin, it becomes transparent like glass. That's actually uh, one of his uh, artwork called The Golden Sea. And, uh, and he was so interested in this tradition of, of beating out glass and beating out glass that it becomes so super thin that it, it's still gold, but it's transparent. And, and he talked about how two things, he, he wanted to create this space, so being transparent or semi-transparent creates space, but because it's flat, it also has a flatness to it. So he, he wanted to create space that also was like something people can see and touch. So it's like almost like two things happening at once. Oh, here's this flatness, but there's space to it because it's transparent. And you think about like that gift, you think about that, that artistry, and, and he's done some other artwork that reflects some biblical themes as well. 
But what if in the new Jerusalem, your gifts and your skills and your, the way God's wired you and your craftsmanship and your ideas are all brought in? What if the gifts of the nations and of the kings of this world are brought in, but, here's, here's the but, no longer corrupted by Satan's influence or the beast's ideologies? Pure motives, pure actions, pure outcomes, pure relationships. That all the gifts, all the innovation, all the creativity that God has wired humanity with because he loves us is in the new creation is there but in a way that we can't even imagine it yet because there's no more influence of Satan or the beast. And what's the point of all this? That there is no city on earth like this. That there's no society that reflects God's kingdom or vision like this. And one of the reasons is this last idea that New Jerusalem tells us about. It's not just a people, it's not just a place, but it reflects God's presence. New Jerusalem is filled with God's presence, but like we said last week, in an unrestricted way. And how do we know that? One, John sees that there's no temple in this city, that there's no temple. And in, in their mind, temples were the place where people went to meet with God. And the, the Jews also, like we said, like the cube inside the inner sanctuary was the place. This is where God dwells. This is where God is. And so even, think about this. Moses went up to the mountain. Why? To be in God's presence. They had the tabernacle, the temple. Even we in the New Testament are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. In a sense that God is going to work in us, live in us as we follow Christ. But the New Jerusalem has no temple. There's no need to identify a space where God is not. Think about that. There's no need to identify a space where God is not or God is. God will be everywhere. There's no temple. God will be everywhere without restriction. The New Jerusalem will be his temple. Like the cube... Now there's the New Jerusalem cube. This is where God is. God is everywhere, or will be everywhere. No restrictions. John sees that there's no sun. And I'm not, I don't want to get, I don't know how to fully understand that. Is it literal? Is it not? Is it, is, is it a, a way of, of implicating, uh, helping us understand that the sun gives us life, the sun gives us warmth, the sun gives us light. But what John sees is God and the Lamb will be the light. God and the Lamb will be our light. And consider all the Old Testament words and prophecies and psalms that are fulfilled, fulfilled here, right? God is going to be our light. The Word is a lamp unto our feet. The Holy Spirit will lead you. Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, all these, all these, these words throughout scriptures, now in the New Jerusalem, God's wisdom, God's direction, God's path will be fully clearly before us. Just like God's Word is a lamp to our feet in the new creation God will lead us. God will guide us fully, fully, our light, unrestricted. There's no need for sun. Unrestricted. And as a result, there is no evil. As a result of no temple and no sun, God's presence unrestricted, there is also no evil. Verse 27, nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood. Verse 3, the next chapter, nothing accursed will be found there anymore. Every, with every inch filled with God's presence, there's no room for evil. With every inch filled with God's presence, permeated with God's presence, there's no room for evil. 
And here's the one result, and I love this one line, and I hope you remember our time in earlier chapters. I think chapter 13. One of the results is we will bear his name on our foreheads. We will bear his name on our foreheads. In other words, no one will be marked by sin. No one will be marked by injustice. No one will be marked by corruption. No one will be marked by greed or the, the, the systems of the beast ever again. No empire, no system, no ideology will force its stamp on us. Right? The number of the beast, the number of Nero, of the empire, the influential system that, that, that we have to choose you know, not to allow to lead us, but God to lead us in new creation. There's no hint of that. It's God's name on our forehead, in a sense. All will bear his name. All will bear his name. And then as a, as a beautiful part of this, and I think we have to just focus on this, this few, two, three words, we will see God's face. We will see God's face. Nothing will restrict us from seeing God's face. When Moses went up to the mountain, God said, look, you know, hide behind the rock. I'm going to pass by you. You can only, like, you're only going to catch a glimpse of me. Isaiah catches even a glimpse of God in a vision, and it's like hot burning coals put on his tongue because he's an unclean man with unclean lips like all of us are. Elijah just catches a glimpse of it, the early church with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then ongoing. They're all glimpses of seeing God, but never fully. But here, we're told all will see God's face. Nothing will restrict us from seeing God's face. Isn't that beautiful? This is the new Jerusalem. This is the city that God is going to prepare for us, a reflection of heaven, a reflection of his kingdom, of his values, of the pulsating force of his love and will. And when you bring this together, you think like, well, what does this mean for me today? Like, what do I do with this? We can't, like, no one can plan a trip to the New Jerusalem right now. Like, I'd love to get to New York. That's great. But I can't get to New Jerusalem. I can't do that. But what are the, not yet. That's only something God will do. But what are the implications? Well, one, I think it makes us rethink our view of heaven, eternity, where it will take place, what we'll be doing. But I think there's something more because this is also a prophetic book, right? It's called, it's a, it's a, it's a pastoral prophetic letter to the church. So here's just a few things for today, not for the future. Because like we said, if we only think about then, we, it's hard for us to think about now. So here's just a couple of things as we wrap this up today. And uh, by the way, next week, I'm so excited to end. Like we're ending on the last verses and it's, it's a great way to end the year. So yeah, I'm just thinking about that already. But here, okay, here's, here's, here's some... For us today, what, what maybe you miss when you just see this depiction is you miss because you might, you, you, we already forget what we read in chapters 19 to, and 20 or earlier. There's a contrasting vision here between two cities. Babylon was earlier. This is the new Jerusalem, right? Babylon was a metaphor for the cities of the world being co-opted by Satan's influence and the beast. New Jerusalem is this idea, this picture, this, this future that God is fully reigning. And we, we can't miss, for us today, this contrasting vision. Remember, the New Jerusalem is the bride. Babylon, remember that word I didn't love using, is the horror. 
In, in New Jerusalem, the nations walked by God's light. In Babylon, the nations were deceived by the beast's light. In the New Jerusalem, the kings and nations bring their glory in in a purified way, in a way that reflects God's heart. In Babylon, the kings and the nations are exploited. They're exploited. They're taken from. They're used. In the new creation, falsehood is excluded. There's nothing accursed. In Babylon, falsehood was celebrated. In the new Jerusalem, water is, and, and the trees and water is healing for the nations. In Babylon, there's wine that makes the nations drunk. In the new Jerusalem, the invitation is come in from God. In Babylon, God tells us, come out. Two different things. These two contrasting visions of New Jerusalem and Babylon. And here's what this means for you and me today. Don't let the vision of Babylon suck up your imagination for life. Don't let the vision of Babylon suck up our imagination for life. Let's look at what's coming because nothing compares to it. Nothing compares to it. And so the readers of this letter and you and I today, I'm certain because I am caught up with this, Babylon takes up my imagination every day. Babylon take, tries to get my imagination, tries to get my attention, tries to give me a vision, tries to suck up my energy every day. And John here is giving us a vision of a better future, of a new Jerusalem, of a city that's yet to come, of one that reflects heaven and God's kingdom. So let's be aware of these contrasting visions and let's be aware of the vision of Babylon that takes up our imagination, but instead we're called to look forward to the new Jerusalem. Another thing that we can think about for today is even today in our world, we can recognize things that reflect God's kingdom and goodness. When Marl's on a golf course, like he's hoping for new creation to have, there's a goodness of a beautiful sunny day on a beautiful curated landscape, and the ball connects. <laughs> that, that, that really tempts people to keep playing golf forever, that one connection. Um, but here's what I want to get at. Let's recognize things now that reflect God's kingdom and goodness. There is things in our world, there is things in your relationships, in your families, in your heart, in the way you do your work that do reflect God's kingdom. But here's the thing I want, I want us to understand. Let's not be captive by it, right? Because these are good things that are a glimpse of God's new creation. But if we get captive by it, if we are captivated too much by it, then we think, oh, this is it. Like that great time on the golf course. Oh, this must be like new creation. This is awesome. Like it's good, but don't be captive by it. You know, the creativity, the, the awesome design, the, the beauty, all that stuff that's here. It's like, yes, let's celebrate it, but let's not be captivated by it. Why? Because it's only a reflection. It's still restricted. There's still, it's still sometimes corrupted by sin, even our stuff and the world stuff. And while we can experience a glimpse of eternal life now, and we actually do because Jesus leads us, we can never feel quite home in our city. And that's really important. I love my city. I love Montreal. 
I really do. I love walking the streets. I love discovering espresso shops. I love uh, walking, uh, you know, with my family and friends in different parts of our city. I love old Montreal and the old, like, the old port, and I love the Mill End, and I love St. Laurent. I love Point Claire Village. I love meeting people. I love seeing community. I love seeing people in parks. I, I absolutely love our city. There's life and there's goodness. But... What we see here is this, just this, this reminder, I'm not fully quite at home in our city. And that's purposeful. Not quite fully home, as good as the espresso might be. At Cafe Olympico downtown. I'm still not quite fully at home in our city because there's New Jerusalem that's coming. And here's why. God keeps his promises that we find in the prophets like Ezekiel about the temple and the future, but he surpasses his promises. It's only a glimpse. Even the prophets only see a glimpse. Revelation shows us the fullness of it. And the main call to you and me as we think about these, these two cities, but ultimately New Jerusalem, is our call to faithfulness. Faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to his vision. John's vision of the future gives us hope to be faithful today. It's not just about then, but that vision gives us hope to be faithful today. Amen? We're called to that, to be faithful today. I'm going to invite the team to come up as we close today. And we're city people, right? Most of us. I mean, I know some people love to live in the country, and that's great. I respect you. I, you know, <laughs> just joking. No, honestly, that's fine. We're city people. We live in the city. Now, we're not, we don't live in, not everybody here lives in the density of the plateau or things like that. I'm just talking about the, the, a city as a whole. We live in the city. And we love uh, living in the city. We, we love this city. We pray for this city. The prophets call us to pray for the well-being, the shalom of this city. But when we live in this city, here's, here's our call. Let's live in our city in light of God's future city. Let's live in our city today in light of God's future city. Live in your neighborhood today in light of God's neighborhoods in the future. Live in your relationships today in light of the community that God calls us to in the future. So may your home and your work and your creativity and your ethics and your decisions and your stewardship and your finances and your planning and, and, and your ambitions and your relationships reflect not this city, but the city that is to come. Let it reflect all the things we do. Let it reflect the city that is to come. And that will not only help you to live faithfully now, but you know that it will make this city better too. It will help us live faithfully today in the present as God calls us to be his church, followers of Jesus, his living in local presence. It's going to help us live faithfully today, honoring God's kingdom letting Jesus be Lord of our life. Man, we were singing it today in worship, and I was just praying, God, lead our lives. Be Lord of our lives. Be Lord of our church. Be Lord of our decisions. It's going to help us be faithful today as we follow Jesus. But let's trust that it'll also make your neighborhood and your home and your workplace and your city corner and your apartment block and your work better. Because God's kingdom does make things better. Wherever you interact with it in your world, in your, in your part of the city, do that.
Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Bless you, Jesus. In a moment, we're going to end focusing on just worshiping Jesus. And, and there's some words in the song that we sang earlier that I think will help us do that. But we just want to just focus for this moment to just bring ourselves fully to the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're just, you're, you're listening to all this and you don't know Jesus yet. You haven't responded to his invitation to follow him, to trust him, to make him Lord of your life. If there is anything in you today that longs for what we've seen in this future city, then my invitation to you is follow Jesus. We will never experience that future city without following Jesus today. So I invite you to make that choice, that response to him today, right now. I'll just help you do that briefly in this first part of our prayer. Our Heavenly Father, there is something beautiful and attractive and holy and good about your future that only you can create. There are some people in this room or watching online that are longing for that. But they are missing the first step towards it, which is inviting you to lead their lives. Responding to your invitation, responding to what Jesus did on the cross for them and rose from the grave defeating all the things that would stop them from knowing you and knowing this future. Oh God, we long to know you and we choose to surrender to you and follow you. And for those choosing that right now, God, would you make them known, know, Lord, how deeply you love them and this, this strong call to their lives to follow you. May they respond. In Jesus' name. And God, for all of us here, um, we are blown away. I'm blown away by the vision we see in these pages of Scripture about the future. And Lord, we, while we long for it and we hope for it, and we are secure in the promises of it, Lord, may you help us and empower us today to live in such a way that keeps us faithful and anchored and rooted in that hope. But also, God, may we be people who reflect that vision today. May we be people in our interactions and in marriages and relationships and singleness and finances and business and decisions and school and careers. Oh, God, may we reflect it today, trusting you that it's the best way to live life. May your kingdom come. May your will be done even now as it is in heaven. We pray this, God, in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. 
We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.